This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. The Hawkesbury meeting on Saturday, August 31st, will mark the return to the saddle of popular jockey Jeff Penzer almost 10 months to the day since a freakish fall at Queen Beanne left him with serious injuries. Jeff was riding a horse called Mirage in a 1,400-metre maiden. He led in the race with a horse on his outside and Mirage seemed to travel kindly enough until the outside horse drew level just before the home turn. Now, Jeff recalls that his mount got very panicky when the other horse got close to him and literally sat down behind like a dog begging. Mirage lost all coordination, fell heavily, and Jeff was struck by a couple of oncoming runners. He sustained multiple fractures below the left knee, a fractured wrist and a shoulder injury, and the leg required two surgical procedures. We talked to Jeff Penzer about his rehabilitation shortly, uh, but firstly, let me throw some statistic at you that will embarrass him. We'll forget about the season just concluded because he rode for only one quarter of it. But let's go back over the previous few seasons. 08-09 to 2017-18, this man rode 1,074 and a half winners. Seven times he topped the century and once in 2016-17 he was the leading jockey in New South Wales with 136 winners. Jeff Penzer, they are pretty impressive figures. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a great ten years. Uh, a lot of it I attribute to my manager, Greg Burke. He's behind the scenes. He just works nonstop. He has, always has my best interests at heart. And, and we've formed formed a good premise, uh, good partnership. And he's obviously a good judge, Jeff, because there'd be times when he's got to pick between two and three mounts for you in a race. Oh, definitely. I mean, we get busy at Provincial on a Saturday and obviously trainers do come in a bit early and he has to juggle that situation and, and you know, get that best ride that he can because you don't want to be riding the horse that runs fourth and you could have been riding the horse that come first. So, mm-hmm. And I trust his judgment. I don't, I don't get in, in his ear too often. I let him do his thing and mm. I know he's, like I said, my best interests at heart and we're working well together. Mm. Let's go back to that fateful day 10 months ago at Queen Beanne. You hadn't ridden that horse previously, but you knew he was a little bit quirky. Uh, Now, from the start to the point of the incident, he looked to travel kindly. I had a look at the replay again the other day. You wouldn't have suspected what was about to happen. Oh, definitely not. Like you said, I I knew he had um, had sort of raced a bit green in the past around horses, but we're drawing barrier one today and and he jumped really, really clean, like straight onto the bit and straight onto the fence. And there was no bustle early. We just... uh, just let him sit where he was, and he just worked straight away on, on the bridle nice and mm. travelled right up to that point on the home turn. There was uh, no indication there was anything um, out of the ordinary at that point. Mm. Were you conscious the whole time? Yeah, I was. I, I was. I was quite happy about that. I knew sort of exactly what had happened. Mm. Um, I was winded for a, for a few seconds, I suppose, and yeah, I knew exactly what had happened. It was um, yeah, it was it was quite clear what what had occurred. Mm. And did you realise the extent of your injuries? I did. I went to move my leg and because it was obviously a lot of pain and I was trying to assess myself. Mm. Uh, I could see the handbag guy was coming towards me, so I thought, oh, it helps right here. Mm. Uh, I went to move my leg and I could feel it 
draping down, you know, it was um yeah. it wasn't hanging in the right spot, so left that alone and mm. I had other injuries but they weren't not my concern at the time. I was just more thinking, yeah, my legs working right through. Yeah, oh yeah. You were taken to Canberra Hospital and it required two operations. Yes. Uh, the first operation was at Canberra. Um, the leg was just swelling incredibly that night. Um, mm. I went in the next day to put an X fix on the on the leg because it actually swelled and started to go on sideways. Um, there was nothing to hold it stable. So I had pinned my upper thigh and lower shin mm. and uh, X frame to Roger Stewart run along and just to straighten your leg out, mm. hold it in place. Uh, then I was transported up to Sydney, Bella Vista Private, where I'd had. Um, the next operation, which was Melbourne Cup Day, was pretty much they were going in the barriers at Melbourne Cup and I was getting transported down to the theatre room downstairs. Mm. And, yeah, that was the second operation, was to put two rods that run either side of my leg, right up from halfway up my shin to pretty much below my knee, and just to hold everything together with screws going across and holding all the pieces in place. You followed doctor's orders. You did everything by the book for seven months and after that you were told you could quietly ride your horses at home, but you'd have to wait another three months to ride in races. Yes, after I got that clearance to get on my own horses at home, it was a gradual process. I remember steadily get on a horse, had to be sort of standing on a, a large block to get on. Uh, obviously I'm riding very long, riding pony length, mm. and it's just slowly building up, trotting every day, and I could feel it in the leg, a little bit extra weight, but... It was a it was a gradual process, but it was a process. It's got better every t- every day, and I was riding probably 10, 15 minutes at the first start, and I could ride a good half an hour later later on. And it just naturally built up. I think the natural position of rising up and down on your toes mm. was the key to building that leg. Um, yeah, that went on for a fair while, and I was riding two horses a day. Mm. I was riding as much as I can because I'm not probably enjoy that more than anything. I could do more work there and get through that pain barrier more than I would in a, in a gym. Yeah. So, yeah, I continued that until I had that clearance to, yeah, return to track work. Mm. Well, you did that in the week just gone. You turned up at Warwick Farm to give Dali a hand, or Godolphin, I should say, <laughs> and you rode five horses on your very first morning, slow work on the sand track, and you pulled up 100%. Yeah, no, the groundwork had paid off. You know, I knew straight away, first time I got on a race, on a race horse on the track, and then slow work's it's harder than people think. I mean, you might gallop a horse, but you're only galloping for that minute or so, two minutes at max. And slow work, you can ring two laps around the sand track in a position where you're bent over and, you know, you've you got to be very strong through the back. And, yeah, I've done those five horses, slow work, two laps each, and I was very happy with the result. Mm. You planned to ride at the Warwick Farm Trials on the 23rd of August and resume yeah. race riding at Hawkesbury on Saturday, August 31. It's a nice, low-key return. Yes. I'm happy that all works out well. I hope we get the right trial rides on that, on that Friday the 23rd. Uh, definitely, like I said, my body was where I wanted it to be. Those first couple of days of track work, there was no problems. I did ride gallops the very next day. Mm. I mean, on the Saturday, I rode gallops, and I've pretty much been doing gallops every day since. So the trial on the Friday is going to be good, and obviously Hawkesbury's at home track, and like I say, a nice low-key return. Mm. And Greg Burke will be on the lookout for not too many rides on your first day back, but the right kind of rides. Yes, def- definitely, definitely. He's uh, he's well ahead of schedule, I believe, and yeah, that's I'm looking forward to that day. Many people have queried the origins of your surname. 
Yes, Penza. It's Maltese. It's not a common Maltese name. You, know, you think of Maltese, you think of Bellas, Galeas, Abella, mm. Muskets. But uh, yeah, Penza is it's Maltese, but it's probably not as popular as the other ones. You grew up at Quakers Hill in the Blacktown district and you had ponies from a very early age and you were one of many jockeys who've started off at Pony Club. A bloke you've been working with all this week started in Pony Club, Darren Beedman. Yes, yeah, we had a good upbringing. You know, things are a little bit easier back in those days when you, you grew up on five acres and you can have a horse in, in pretty much in your backyard and you jump on it whenever you want. And It just made a transition to race horses easy because... You know, you're around horses pretty much your whole life already. It wasn't if you were going into stable and learning how to handle a horse. It was um, pretty much get on and straight into the exciting bits. Mm. Many people will be surprised to learn that there was once a commercial stud known as Jason Lodge, which fronted Sunny Holt Road at Blacktown. And that place was owned by a, a lovely bloke by the name of Norm Williamson, who got a trainer's licence at a later stage of his life. Now, his horses did most of their slow work around a paddock on that property, and I think they'd go down to Rose Hill for fast gallops. But somehow, a very young Jeff Penzer got involved. Yeah, no, no, I don't know how it actually happened, but we lived on a property which was a uh, a five-minute horse ride across the paddocks to North's place, Jason Lodge. Mm. And, yeah, I ended up having having a job there where I could ride my little pony across and Jump on Norm's race horses, ride around a paddock, slow work, and and ride back home again. It was uh, it was a funny setup when you think about it these days. You know, riding a little pony to work and back home again, but oh, yeah. that was my first introduction to to the race horses, and yeah, Norm was good to me. Were you hooked on thoroughbreds from that first day there at Jason Lodge? Yeah, I was, I was very impressed with the horses straight away. I, you know, you walk into a, a place where it's got a nice big barn, and you've got these horses horses coming out the heads over the rail over. The, the doors and look at these big, beautiful horses and you think, yeah, mm. this is where you probably want to hang out the rest of your life. <laughs> Norm stood a couple of handy stallions there. One of them was a big grey horse called Royal Yacht. Do you remember him? Yes, I remember Royal Yacht. He had his own big paddock with his, with his nice big barn and, yeah, he was, he was a beautiful horse. I knew him in his later stages, but he was a very, very impressive looking horse. Yeah, he got a lot of very fast horses, Jeff. Yeah, he was a speedy horse, and did he stand Sir Dane there? That seems to ring a bell. Yes, I don't know about that one. I just, Royal Yacht just stood out to me. So, mm. yeah. Your next step was to find a trainer willing to sign you up as an apprentice jockey. And the man to become your master was a very good horseman called Peter Bolzen, who trained his team at Vineyard of all places. Yeah, it was, a, it was another good setup. He, um, Peter had this. Own sand track at the back of the property, mm. and we saw all our slow work was there. It was really good. It was a decent track. I remember a big, big round track, and we sort of float our horses in the Rose Hill for fast mornings. And mm. yeah, Peter was a great boss to me. I moved pretty much from home straight into Peter's house, and yeah, he took me under his wing. Mm. Well, he prepared your very first winner. It was a horse called the Perihelion. And it was a maiden handicap at Bathurst in 1987. Jeffrey, I'm sorry to date you. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, it was my first winner. Was, I think it was something special riding the first winner for the boss. But obviously when you're an apprentice starting out, you're not going to get many outside rides. And, yeah, he put me on a good one that day and we just fell in. But it was yeah, a memorable, memorable win. Mm. You must have impressed everybody pretty quickly because you 
took off after that win at Bathurst and in the 1987-88 season, you actually finished third in the Sydney Apprentices Premiership. That was a good effort, about 23 city winners. Yeah, it was. I, I hardly had a winner halfway through the season and things just clicked and I had a terrific, terrific run and plenty of support from the right people and ended up having a good season. Is that the Premiership where two young blokes, Mark Peters and Troy Phillips, fought it out <laughs> tooth and nail? It was. It was a... I think it was um, head and head right to the end, and Mark Peters got the, the upper hand. Mm. Mark was apprenticed to Brian Mayfield Smith from memory. Yes, yes, and obviously the stable was flying at the time, and yeah, there was plenty of sport there for him, which paid off. Mm. Your first Sydney Saturday winner was a horse called Luskin Galaxy, trained by Mickey Hood at Rose Hill. Can you remember the day? It's a, it's a supreme moment for any kid, isn't it? Yeah, no, it was a big, big, big moment for me. Um, you always chase that, you know, it's the first winner you're looking for, that city winner, you're looking for that Saturday winner, and that was the, that was the horse for me, Luskin Galaxy. Mm. The late Paul Sutherland had a big team in work at the time at Rose Hill, and he took a shine to your talents. He gave you a lot of rides, and I remember one really nice horse you won some races on for Sutherland, uh, Mary Ruler. Yes, Mary Ruler was a good horse for me. He, um, it was a really impressive win at... Rose Hill was actually, you just say in hindsight, but one of my better rides as an apprentice where I was in a position coming to turn off out pretty pretty gradual, but made sure I got out around heels and the horse went on to let down at the right time and, and win and you know, probably made me look good at that horse and pretty great, grateful for Paul Sutherland for his support mm. in those early days. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast, Jeff, to clear a commitment. Back with yep. you very shortly. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Special guest is Jeff Penzer, who returns to race riding on August 31st. Another Rose Hill trainer to recognise your talents back in that era was Dr Jeff Chapman. One really nice horse he rode for the doc was Protrero. He finished up winning a couple of Group 1s later on. You won a 1,200 on him at Randwick one day. Yes, yeah, so I was lucky enough to get hook up with Doc Chapman's stable. Um, yeah, Lord Ben was... Was forced to be reckoned with at the time, and Doc wasn't afraid to chuck young apprentices on good horses. And yeah, Bracero was one of the horses that come through and put me on, and yeah, he was a good horse. Twining was a handy mare trained by the Doc. I think you won at Randwick on Twining as well. 
Yeah, I think Twiny gave me a double on the day. Uh, Twiny was just a little horse, well-named, mm. and very, very honest, very honest. Another winner you rode for Doc Chapman was an unusually named two-year-old called Bill. Yeah, Bill was a nice big horse, big dark horse, and I'm pretty sure I won on it at Rose Hill. He, he turned on to win a few in town. He turned out to be a very nice horse. Doc Chapman, of course, is long retired as a horse trainer. In fact, he went back into the medical profession although I heard on the grapevine recently that he has retired from his uh, former craft. One of the great characters, I think, uh, ever seen in Sydney racing. Oh, definitely. I don't think we can compare him to anyone around at, at the moment. You know, he, was a, he was an unusual character. Obviously, coming from that background he did to, mm. to step into training is you know, unheard of. It just seemed to make sense, but... He'd done both with great success and, yeah, he was um, obviously he was exciting for racing. Do you remember a great little mare you rode back about late 80s for a trainer called Stephen Jones, River Love? You won five races on her, including, I think, your first listed race. Yeah, she won my first listed race at Canterbury. The start price was 100 to 1 that day and it was, a, it was a memorable moment. I remember having my wife and my dad at races at the time and, yeah, first stakes race, it was really good. Now, Jeff, the year after River Love, you took yourself off on a very exciting adventure. You went to England. Now, how did that come about? That's a pretty uh, intimidating thing for a young jockey to do. Yeah, it was unusual. We, um, I had a met, uh, before anyone probably managers in Sydney, I had a guy called Paul Webster who was pretty much just trying to organise my rides for me and he had an English background and he suggested we go over to England just on a little working holiday and just ride around and get a little bit of experience and, yeah, next thing you know, we're over in England riding races. Where were you riding work? Newmarket? I rode work at Newmarket for Clive Britton. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was experience in itself, you know, getting up early in the morning and riding out. I was hands-on. He was ride right beside you and chat all morning and do gallops with you Goodness in the fog. Like, you wouldn't know where you're going, but just in these big open spaces, no running rail. And yeah. He, he was um, a very interesting person. Good to, good to get to meet him. You had 18 rides in Great Britain for one winner at a track in Surrey called Kempton Park. I've been to Kempton Park. Lovely setting, lovely backdrop. Yeah, no, I was very happy to get a win. I mean, to go all that way and, you know, the possibility you're probably not going to ride a winner, but, yeah, a little horse called a little Roosie on. Yeah. Um, I remember wasting pretty hard to ride a horse. I only had seven stone seven. Mm-hmm which I'm not sure where that converts to. I had to ride over a little bit, overweight, but, um, yeah, got the win and it was a big thrill, something that I just always remember. Yeah. You would have ridden with some very big-name jockeys in that era. Lester was still going strongly, wasn't he? Oh, uh, Lester was still going. I remember when I, I rode and Lester come back not long after and he rode at Canberra. I was sitting beside him at Canberra. Mm. Um, Willie Carson. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot of jockeys. Off the top of my head, I remember going to races with Frankie Dettori. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, it was incredible. These big names are probably larger-than-life characters, but, yeah, you're just riding mm. up against them. It was, it was a good experience. Mm. You developed the practice of keeping a race book. Uh, you know, whatever meeting you participated at, you'd bring a race book home and you've still got them. Yes, always, all from the English meetings. Um, so I can always look back and see what riders I rode against and what tracks I rode at, mm. uh, and it's good good memorabilia. It's well documented, you know, that the late Jack Denham could suddenly take a liking to a certain jockey. 
out of the blue, he'd, he'd start putting you on really nice horses and, you know, you might only last a month and then he wouldn't ring anymore. Then he'd come back again later. But <laughs> that was yeah. Jack. You were on that list of jockeys. You won a two-year-old race at Randwick for Jack and Jeff and Beryl White on a filly called Ready Or. Yeah, Jack was, yeah, everyone who knew Jack was, you know, sort of character he was. I remember when I first started riding work at Rose Hill for my boss, Peter, and said, um, Jack approached him and said, get a young, young, young Lebanese guy over here to ride a bit of work. And mm. So guys just sent me over and I remember getting off on horse one morning, Jack walked over, said, show me your hands. So I showed him your hands and he goes, oh, they're okay. And I said, well, what's he looking at my hands for? And he goes, oh, he's looking to see if you've got soft hands or calluses. And I had calluses because I've been riding all my life. <laughs> and yeah, Jack was Jack was depressed, so he left me alone for a while. <laughs> he thought you were Lebanese. Yeah, he thought I was Lebanese. He just yeah. <laughs> mm. It must have been around the early two thousands when you made a decision that would change your life forever. You couldn't see much point in going to Randwick to ride two fifty to one pops when you could have been having a full book of seven or eight rides at Newcastle or Kembla. And, of course, that led to other places like Canberra and Goulburn and Wagga, Scone, Musselbrook and beyond. But you needed two things, Jeff. You needed a good manager and you needed a good car. Yeah, definitely. My manager, he did, he did come up with the theory that he can't compete with the, with the trainers in town. Like He can't get into constant rides. You'll get, you get the odd ride, but you won't get the competitive rides. So we'd elected to follow the road. And I think I've been one of the few tra- uh, few jockeys that started to really branch out, branch out at a sort of little district and start travelling more often. And, mm. yeah, I think I started a trend there because everyone's doing it. It's not uncommon for you to be at five meetings a week. Uh, trainers understand it's almost impossible for you to ride work in Sydney. You can't be on the road and riding track work at the same time. Oh, definitely. I mean, you have to be mentally mentally fresh as well as physically fresh. And I think if you're, you know, you've got to get up in the morning and at, at 3.30 to ride work and then you've got to get home and lose, say, a kilo, a kilo and a half mm. and drive to the races, you're probably not going to have your happiest face on when you get to Wagga, you know, five hours later. So trainers do understand that racing has changed, whereas we do ride more often and jockeys obviously ride more often. And, yeah, I, I like to go on track work at least once a week just to keep the eye in and I find Tuesdays is a good morning for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I don't have to travel to a, a bush meeting and yeah actually your riding works you know, I'm doing it every day at the moment on my comeback trail but mm. it's, it's it's quite enjoyable but when you're up and race riding it's not something you to do as well yeah you were riding a bit of work at Rose Hill in the middle of 2002 for Lee Curtis and Lee at the time was training a group sprinter a very smart horse called Mystigic now, you casually mentioned after riding a filly one morning that she'd give Mastigic a run for his money. I don't know if he believed you or not, Jeff, but the filly was called Private Steer. Yeah, Lee had been doing a lot of travelling with Mastigic down to Melbourne and I was actually the time, right, like I say, running work for Lee and really his little two-year-old filly, little bay filly come through and riding her work and she just improved every week. Uh, it's just natural natural horse, natural speed. Mm. And I said to Lee, you know, this thing goes really good. And he said, oh, okay. And so I think he sort of brushed me off a little bit. But mm. when we started trialling, her, her true colours started to naturally appear and, yeah, she was she was something special. Mm. You rode her in her first race start at Canterbury. 
she got smashed in that race, put her right out of it. Yeah, she drew in close. She was on the, on the fence to come to Canterbury, which is not ideal, but we were just hoping for that, you know, a reasonable split in time. I knew what sort of dash she had, but mm. coming to home turn, she just got put up the fence and she was she was in a situation where she just lost a lot of ground. Being a horse, first start, I've been sandwiched and she just um, she checked out of it herself. And, mm. yeah, we lost three to four lengths and it was just going through your emotions after that. Yep. You retained the ride in a Kembla maiden shortly after, and she won that maiden, Jeff, by ten and a half lengths. Yeah, no, she uh, she just had the right run that day. She she jumped out. We just sat outside a horse, and when it's time to let her down, she just yeah, I never moved on her. You know, she just won so easy, and she was just such a balanced horse mm. at, a, at a top speed, which made a difference. You never got on her again. No, it's the last time I rode her, but it's, you know, she was off for, off to big things and. You know, I wasn't probably in the position where I had the, the name to, to go with her, um, but yeah, I was happy with my time with her. You know, you can only do what you what you put on to do and you know, I got the job done there. She had a limited racing career, you know. She only had 20 starts. She won 12 of them, five placings, 3.4 million and three group ones. She won an all-aged, a Doncaster and a Stradbroke and she never lost that sharp turn of speed. Yeah, no, she, she learnt well from the start, I think, and uh, it's just an impressive record to hear. You know, she only had that many starts. It's, yeah, it's incredible. 12 out of 20. Terrific record, yeah. yep. In more recent times, you got to ride a very nice horse called Sons of John for Jason Attard, who was training at Hawkesbury. You rode him 17 times, in case you're not aware, for four <laughs> wins, four placings. You won the Hawkesbury Cup Group 3 in 2015, and as easy a Hawkesbury Cup win as you'd ever see, he bolted in. Yeah, no, he, he went really well that day. He, I'd rode him a lot of work, that horse. I rode him slow work, fast work, I rode him everywhere. And when we did gallop him, he'd, he'd get a little preference to go into the course proper a lot, and he just knew how to work well on that track. And mm. that day at a Hawkesbury Gold Cup, he, um, he let down like he was at track work. It was unbelievable. So mm. he travelled really well in the race. He got the right split. And away he went. He was a very good little horse. Now, there's one particular race you'll never forget when we talk about Sons of John. It was the 2015 Theo Mark Stakes at Rose Hill, a group two. You rode him an absolute treat. You had a perfect run. You dashed to the lead and looked all over a winner. And suddenly a bay mare flashed up and beat you by a head. I think James McDonald rode Winks that day. Yeah, he rode Winks that day. He was, um, yeah, like we had the right run. You know, I couldn't fault our horse. And, and I'm glad because we only went down to Nostril and I'd hate to go back and think, oh, I could have done this, could have done that. But mm. we had a really good good position. We got out at the right time and looked like we were just going to hit the line in time mm. to win. And, and we did. And then, yeah, out of nowhere, Winks has come. Mm. Looking at the replay, it looked like pretty much she'd, she wasn't going to be in the finish at all. And then, no. yeah, then it all started to happen for her and she picked us up the last stride. Yep. That was the third of her 33 straight wins. Yeah, she probably got better as she went after that too. So, mm. yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to take the second. Three weeks later, you and Sons of John lined up in the Epsom. But this time, Winks absolutely smashed you. She won by two and a quarter lengths from Ecuador and you were a half head away third on Sons of John. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a she really had true colours 
come out that day. Um, she probably stuck a little bit of a, not so much trouble, it held up a little bit behind us. And when she switched around, she just uh, come past us in a hurry and we're happy to run fur to her that day, to be honest. We had, um, we had every possibility and she just, yeah, she just way too good. You rode Sons of John in a couple of big races in Melbourne after that, the Crystal Mile and the Emirates, Group 1. He was unplaced in both of them, but he wasn't disgraced, was he? He wasn't all that far away. He wasn't. He um, it was pretty much his first trip away to Crystal Mile and it probably wasn't the best he could have w- travelled. Mm. Um, but he, but unfortunately for him, both times he struck trouble in his races. I believe Oliver copped a suspension at the second incident, but mm. he didn't have the best of runs and he probably didn't go into races as good as he was up here being away from home, but mm. it was all experience for him. You've got three former racehorses on your property, including a horse called Fireball, who's developed into a very handy jumper. He won seven races. You won a couple on him early in the piece, and you could tell then his temperament was magnificent, and you you chased him as a hack later. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I won his, his first start. Oh, no, first start. It would have been his first win, and he backed out to another win next start. And He was a nice horse early in the day. Uh, I didn't sort of chase him at the time. I knew he was only, only a two-year-old. He got a long way to go, but... I got to ride him a few years later and, yeah, I was I was attracted to him straight away and mm. I knew maybe he'd be getting towards the end of his prep and lovely Jan Bowen trained him and Steve Watts owned him and I approached him and said, if you ever think about retiring his horse, let me know. And, mm. yeah, as time went by, he uh, raced at Scone Carnival and he, he bled for a second time and so they've rung me up saying he's looking for a home and, mm. yep, we went to pick him up a week later. You tell me Fireball might be good enough to participate in an event called Jump Off, which is a Racing Victoria initiative. Yeah, no, he's entered. He'll be, um, he's definitely going to be good enough. He's, he's been competing the last couple of weekends since I've been back in action and he's been going really well. You know, he's just a natural ability. This horse is surprising. A lot of people go for stays when they look at equestrian horses, maybe for cross country, but mm. being a sprinter, he's just super fast on his legs and he can adjust himself coming to a jump and mm. yeah, he's he's not looking back at the moment. He won last weekend at 15 and he won yesterday a metre five in a large field, a field of 67 horses. Mm. So he's um, he's could be, could be peaking at the right time for jump off with his 2nd of October. Your wife, Michelle, is a horse lover and a very competent rider in her own right. Yes, she has a retired racehorse as well, and she competes with him. A horse called Shazana, which we got off Jason Coyle, and you know we have we have a good association with our horses, and it helps that we can both uh, fill in for each other when something's not um, possible to do time wise, and because they are very time consuming. And obviously, when I'm at the races, she looks after them in the afternoons, and mm. yeah, it's been good for us. Now, tell me about these kids of yours. Jeff, Noah is your son. <laughs> He's 17, doing his HSC, already way too tall to be a jockey. Oh, he's never going to be a jockey. He's never going to be a jockey. He's starting to be a journalist, actually. And, yeah, he's very dedicated to his to his schoolwork. He's doing his HSC now, and he's one of those kids you don't have to push. He just does it all himself, and he gives you his own little report on what's happening at school, and he's, he's terrific. Plays AFL. Season just ended for him. But, yep. um, yeah, he's never going to be a jockey. <laughs> Any ability at the footballing caper? He's come good. He's Like I say, this is his first season. He played soccer for a long time, first grade soccer. Um, but he switched 
to AFL, something different, and he really enjoys it, and that's, that's the main thing. Your daughter Q is 14, and she has also passed up the horses for the skillful art of gymnastics, and she's pretty good at it. Oh, she's good at it, and she's very dedicated. You wouldn't be able to um, stop her from training if you tried. It's usually my fret punishment. You won't, you're not going to gymnastics training, but... Yeah, no, she's, she's very good at it, and she took out a state title, Lebanon Juniors, this year, and mm. I was lucky enough to be off work to, you know, not only just to see that day, but I've been taking her to training and, you know, just reconnecting with the kids. It's been great. You live on a small property at a place called Berkshire Park near Windsor, so you won't have to travel very far for that comeback race meeting at Hawkesbury on August 31st. Now, we live in a good little place. We're, we're central to the race courses. It's not far from Warwick Farm where I ride work and even Rose Hill and I can ju- duck out to Hawkesbury for a gallop and, mm. yeah, come Saturday week, it's um, yeah, it's a short drive to Hawkesbury. Now, Jeff, 10 months is a long time. You've been riding your own horses consistently for three of those months, which has helped you to keep your weight in check. Any problems? No, weight's good. Weight's good. It was, um, it was a bit of a roller coaster at first. You know, I usually walk around 55, and after the, the four, I was 47 kilos in hospital. I uh, just dropped away to nothing and got out. I ballooned up to 58, 59. And once I sort of got a little bit mobile on crutches and things sort of got back to normal, I was hopping down to 56 for a while now, and that's in a good spot. Even though last week I've lost a bit more weight just riding work and mm-hmm. getting right back into things, and I just got to keep keep active and eat healthy. And your leg feels comfortable, pain-free and flexible? Yes, definitely, definitely. It's the pain-free is the thing. I mean, the thing about riding horses, you know yourself, they, they're unpredictable. They go left, right, back and forth. You know, you, you can't see what's what's coming and you just got to have to rely on your strength. You can't, you can't have your leg giving out because you feel a little bit of pain and, mm. you know, I believe my, my groundwork has helped me to be where I am and gives me the confidence to you know, get back on. Prior to the accident, you'd established a very large and a very loyal clientele of owners and trainers, and you've been greatly missed the last 10 months, Jeff. I can assure you of that. <laughs> you've been a tremendously consistent jockey for your entire career, and I know you're going to be just as consistent this time around. Good luck. I hope that Group 1 happens one day for you. And we really appreciate your time on the podcast. Thank you very much, John. Jeff Penzer on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal, and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinch and Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia Doro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside.